0: Thank you. Welcome to the Comics Corner, everybody. I am John, and I am here with uh, one of our usual suspects, the Rory to my Lorelei, the Benson to my Stabler, the, uh, the Lucille Liza Minelli to my Jessica Walters, Lucille Bluth, Mr. Matthew Klein. So wonderful to be back on the Comics Corner with you, John. How are you, bud? I am excellent, and I am excellent because this comics corner is all you my friend and i am just along for the ride this time so yay to less prep work for me
1: well i just love to alleviate the burden off your shoulders from time to time Uh, i am going to get you back for calling me rory gilmore though at some point the worst character on that show absolutely can't stand her But uh, we have a very special guest today for this Comics Corner. Generally on the Comics Corner, John has recommended a read for our guest, but today we have flipped the table, and for this Halloween season, I have uh, been allowed to not only invite a new read, but to invite someone on, and with us today is the incredibly talented Heather Antos. Heather, welcome to the Comics Corner. Hi, thanks
2: guys.
0: Thank you for being here, I'm giving lots of snaps.
1: So Heather, Heather is, uh, known John and I for a few years now, uh, very accomplished editor, uh, stage combat, uh, let's see what else, I mean, she pretty much does it all. I'm still trying to figure out if there's something you can't do. You can cook, you can choreograph a strangulation scene, uh, you give unbelievable notes, you have the greatest puppy known to man, like, you've pretty much got it all, so... It's very honored to have you here as a guest on the show. Yeah, um, no, thanks. Now I do have one question. We are just a couple weeks out from Halloween. I believe at the point that we're going to air this. So Heather, uh, what is your favorite Halloween costume that you have ever gotten to dress up as?
2: Oh man. That I've ever got to do. Yeah. Um, well, the majority of my childhood was the same costume over and over because my parents weren't creative um but I would say my most recent one is probably my favorite uh my boyfriend and I dressed up as Ed and Ein from Cowboy Bebop uh at the last Halloween party that you could uh acceptably go to pre-pandemic um so that was super fun and then um probably behind that would be my Black Canary cosplay that I'm pretty well known for
1: um yeah That they are both spectacular. And I believe the I saw the Ed9 one on your Instagram feed when it was first coming out. It was incredible. Uh, Let's just be very clear. You were the Ed. Yes. And your boyfriend was Ein.
2: Yes. He He wore um, a Corgi onesie. It was
1: great. (laughs) Well, and easy costume. (laughs) It also speaks to your love of space Corgis. So yes. Did you have a love of space Corgis before watching Cowboy Bebop or did it come from Cowboy Bebop?
2: Um, I think the combination came from Cowboy Bebop, but like I've always loved Corgis and I've always loved space affiliated things. So I think when I saw them together, I was just like, oh, yeah,
1: this is great. Just it all came together. Yes. And, John, this holiday season, going back over your many, 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 many Halloweens, um, what was the first scary movie you remember as a
0: kid? Uh, Well, first of all, rude. Um, Secondly, uh, the first scary movie I ever saw, I think it might have been Halloween, which I didn't see in the movie theater I saw at... We went to visit friends of my parents and my sister, my two sisters and their daughter were hanging out and they kind of, I was on my own. So I watched Halloween. It was like, it was on TV. So it had commercials and everything, but I was watching that. Uh, And I don't think I slept for maybe three nights after that. I mean, I think that's the reaction they were going for, quite frankly. Yeah. Sleepless, annoyed, I don't know, fifth grader. Yeah, let's go with fifth grader. I mean, we could we could knock it down to, like, second grader if you prefer. No, no, no. It was definitely not. It was definitely not second grade. I don't even When did Halloween come out? Was that? 72, I think? No. Was it that early? Was it was, that was it later? I, I think it was
2: like, later.
0: I think it was 78. 78 or Oh, 80. maybe it was 77, 78, something like that.
2: S- hold on, hold on, hold on.
0: Up uh, 78. 78, 78. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I probably would have been in 10th grade. I'm 10th grade. I would have been, I think in 5th grade.
1: Yeah. 5th grade. You've been like 10 years old, 5th grade sort of gotcha. Yeah. Well, today, uh, I really appreciate, John, that you gave me the reins because I wanted you to read for this Halloween season, Clean Room, Um, originally published under the Vertigo imprint, which was owned by DC Comics. Uh, this is a series that is near and dear to my heart, and uh, when I told Heather that this was the read on the Comics Corner, um, she was uh, a big fan of it, the series, as uh, I discovered, and so I was like, ah, perfect, come on, and, and please, you can hear John and I yell at each other, and you can school us on why we're wrong about what there is to love about this series, because you're great at telling me why I'm wrong. Um so so here's the first question. So Clean Room, just to give a little background for uh, our listeners, Clean Room first originally was published on October 21st, 2015. Uh, it is written by Gail Simone, who has a very long and incredible history of runs all across comics from DC, Marvel, celebrated runs on Birds of Prey, um, Red Sonja over Dynamite, um... Why am I blanking? Deadpool. Domination? Deadpool. She was one of the first writers for Deadpool, Um, a character you are also very familiar with. Um, and then uh, this was a really exciting sort of opportunity seeing her kind of flex her horror genre uh, with this. I can't recall really if she had really done another horror book to this side. Heather, do you recall one?
2: she never done a series. I think she'd done like scary storyline, right? And, yeah. and like an issue. Um, and the Batverse, but like this is this was her first like real foray into like creator-owned and horror. Um, so yeah, it definitely, definitely very different from anything else we've seen her do um, up into this point.
1: And it was really cool to see a new side of them, right? I imagine it's it's sort of John. Would you equate it to sort of you know watching a filmmaker who's made one type of of genre their entire career that you're most familiar with, and then suddenly they go all the way. out. It's like if, if M. Night Shyamalan ever did a rom-com, right? It would be that sort of seeing a different side of them. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I kind of would love to see it and kind of terrified to see that. But, but that seems to be the case.
0: Yeah, I think there were a lot of um, hints of this in some of her other works and everything from Birds of Prey to Secret Six to uh, even Wonder Woman. Um, I think there were some really um, sort of early very background threads that kind of of her writing style and her love of horror that came out in this. And to join her on this incredible journey uh, was
1: artist John Davis Hunt, who uh, all of us have gotten to work with in in a former fashion while we were at uh, Valiant Entertainment uh, on the series Shadow Man, which I still consider one of my crowning honors has been to work on that book and help promote it with you, John. Uh, That you edited, Heather. Um, And then also later on in the series, uh, which ran for 18 issues, so roughly about a year and a half, uh, was Walter Giovanni and uh, Sanya Anwar came in for the last arc. It ran for 18 issues. It ended in uh, April 26, 2017. Uh, One of the things I love to do a little bit on Comics Corner is sort of talk a little bit about the business of comics. So, one of the cool things I like to look up is sometimes sales numbers. So this actually started at about fifteen thousand copies of sold of number one. It ended at about forty six hundred. Um, fun note: I looked up though the same month that Clean Room Number Eight came out, another book called Gwenpool, issue number fourteen, was selling about eighteen thousand copies over uh, for Marvel. Uh, Gwenpool is co-created by the incredibly talented person on this. Podcast, and it is not John or myself that is from Heather, but just a little little factoid there to work in. Um, Clean Room really follows the story of uh, a woman named Astrid Mueller, who is, as the synopsis on the book reads, the enigmatic and compelling guru of a giant self-help organization, a devastatingly powerful figure in the industry between psychology and religion. Journalist Chloe Pierce's fiance decided to pick up Astrid's book. And within three months, he was dead. Something in Astrid's book made Philip, the fiance, blow his brains out all over Chloe's new kitchen. Now Chloe is on a mission to find out who Astrid Mueller really is, what is the clean room she's been hearing about, where your deepest fear and worst moments are revealed. So that's the back of the book synopsis, literally for volume one. And that's a little bit of the setup. So Heather, my first question to you, whose story is this? you're muted
2: uh it is chloe's story in my opinion uh hands down you um you know astrid is definitely a machine in the story for sure she's an engine in it um but we are following chloe and chloe's journey and, and and you know she's definitely our lens character um for all of this um but the best character is spark and that Cannot be argued.
1: I I would not disagree with that. Quite frankly, that Spark is probably my favorite character of there. John agreed. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good boy. John, do you agree? Is I, I agree that Chloe's definitely our lens character, but I don't know that a lens character is always necessarily the protagonist for a story. Do you Do you feel that this is this is primarily Chloe's story, or does it sort of switch for you? Where do you come down on it?
0: Um, I I think it is Chloe's story. I think it's Chloe's story. I think my reason is, I think my conclusion is the same as Heather's, but my reason is probably a little bit different. Um, because I think it's Chloe's journey that we're going on and not necessarily that she, though she is obviously the lens character, I think that, um, you know, I, I generally think, uh, the character, the main character of the story is the one that you, um, that you see the growth in. Um, whereas it feels like Astrid doesn't necessarily take a giant leap from the first issue to the eighteenth issue. I think that Chloe does.
2: What do you, what do you mean? Astrid uh swears in the in the final. <laughs> That's like I huge. I,
0: <laughs> I'm not sure that I would call that huge growth, but you know.
1: <laughs> no. So here's my question, though. Does huge growth have to equate to a huge display of growth to be there? Heather, I ask that for you.
2: I don't understand what you're asking.
1: Well, to your point, Astrid shows a bit more kind of humanity, if it were. She's able to curse. She shows attachments to people that she doesn't really in those first couple of issues. Is that not enough growth to maybe give her the sense that...
2: No, she's not, she's not, it's not her story. It's not, we're following uh, through and through, we're following Chloe's journey of, you know, Chloe starts, I don't want to fucking live anymore. I want to be dead. I tried to kill myself. Everything is terrible, but I need to find this out. Um, And by the end of the series, you know, she definitely has her autonomy back. She has purpose. Um, You know, she's, she has so much drive in all of this um, and definitely, definitely grows. Astrid's goals never change in all of us. Um, Astrid is who she is, um, and, and stays that way. And she needs to be like that for this, for this story to work. Um, you know, I, I think, it would have been a very, very different story if Astrid Muller in and of herself were going to show exponential character growth, but what that exponential character growth could or should have been, um, yeah, would make this, one, would make her a far less interesting character, I think. And then two, would just make this a very different story and not about what it is.
1: You know, I see. I see all those points. My only question in terms of maybe it's Astrid's story or she takes over at some point is it feels like towards the beginning of the third arc, it feels like Chloe's in a really good or in a much better place that she seems to have. She's gone through a lot of growth by then. And it just, it felt to me that it's sort of the focus became a little bit more on sort of Astrid and her end game and her organization. So that actually made me question a little bit
2: I think that's, I think that's fair to say. I think that also is, oh, sales suck. We have to wrap this up and this, this, you get six more issues.
1: Thank you. Okay. I I love it. I was hoping we would go here. Yeah, no,
2: that's, that's a hundred percent what that last arc was through and through. I can just from editorial uh, standpoints, I can see a lot in that of what happened and what probably happened um, from schedule standpoints, from creative standpoints, from sales standpoints. Um, and yeah, I think what happened, I don't think arc three is what arc three was originally going to be. I think arc three, as we see is, well, we had a nice run. You get six more
1: issues. Go forth. (sighs) John, did, did you have a a similar feeling about arc three and, and listeners uh, we haven't given it yet, but spoiler alert, we are absolutely going to go into some spoilers here. And it's interesting, but I, I think you hit on a very cool point. I, so I do I do feel okay going to the end here a little bit. From a structural standpoint, is that sort of how, because it is broken up into three arcs as it is, right? One through six, seven through 12, 13 through 18. Where does arc three, did you feel that shift that Heather's talking about?
0: Yeah, and I think Structurally, I um, I was going to sa- save this for later in the conversation just before you and I start screaming at each other, Matthew, but Bring it. Um, I so I love Gail Simone's work. I've cried when I've met her. I think her work is amazing. Um, I, uh, Birds of Prey, Secret Six, Wonder Woman um, are even read Sonia, they're all things that I consistently reread. I don't ever think structure and plotting is the thing that attracts me to her work. I think she is an exquisitely genius writer of characters and of making you care about characters very early on and almost instantly, from, you know, the star of the show. I I wasn't making air quotes, but I'm gonna say I'm making air quotes, the star of the show to a supporting character. Um, so I don't think it startled me in the sense that I sort of expect things structurally to not always make sense to me in her work, but I don't because I don't think I look for it that way in her work, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. And
1: and I, I would agree with you. I think her I, I think one of the true gifts of, of Gail Simone as a writer is her character work. And, and particularly her ability to give really full fledged voices to these characters. And these, for me, it's in sort of the little details. You know, I think of Secret Six and I think of like the henchmen who are talking about trying to meet with their life coach, right? And in here, there's this incredible rich sort of background. The Haveram
2: brothers, like the, 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 them, them, them in a nutshell, like sums up her ability to really humanize characters and you know who they are from their first line of dialogue, you know, exactly who they are. And yet she still can surprise you with them too, which I really like um, throughout, but the, you know, every, it's a thing that most writers struggle with, especially in comics is having every single character have a very unique voice on the page. Um, And you know, this is a book where you could take a balloon out of, you know, out of, out of the panel and just read the line. um, And there's a good chance you could guess who, who said it, because every single character has such a distinct voice.
1: So to you, Heather, I want to, because you, I mean, you, you work on like 30 projects at once and they're all pretty amazing. And you work with an incredible array of talent. You've worked with people emerging mid-career, 20 years in the game. For you, do you think, in your opinion, do you think that uh, character is more important than plot when you're looking at a story, when you're thinking about does is that something that stays with you more, or do you fall in that it kind of all needs to be in balance there? Where do you where in terms of priority do you put character? Oh, it depends doing? on what you're doing. Okay. It it's it, it, a little bit more to that? Like uh, uh it,
2: yeah. I mean, like if you're um if you're doing a creator-owned series like this, right, um, that there is a high concept, but it's it's not, you know, Walking Dead has a pretty punchline hard concept that you get right off the bat, and you're like, oh, zombies are here. You wake up in the hospital, blah. Like you're in for it, right? Um, but on something like this, where you're definitely peeling back the curtain. Issue by issue. And I don't think we knew going into issue one, you know, when we're all new to the series that, like, oh, aliens are a thing, right? That was definitely, I think, a reveal. Absolutely. Um, you know, like character is super important. Character and tone, I would say, are the two most important things to nail off the bat. Um because like John said, you know, like, yeah, yeah, gotta care about the characters, you know? Um, there are plenty of things I've watched, I've read, I've, you know, consumed where like, God, it's just the worst writing, the worst plot, the worst story ever, it's terrible. I know it's terrible, but I'm invested in these characters um, and I have to know what's gonna happen to them. Um, and so if you can hook them on character, on something unknown, um. Then, then you've you've got a a following. But if you're I, you know, like I think it's pretty fair to say if you're a Batman fan, a Wonder Woman fan, as a, you know a, a Shadow Man fan, Exo Man War fan, um, you're you're a fan of the brand, you know, more than anything else. Not necessarily even
1: the character, the brand. And and that has its place too. It has right?
2: its place. Right. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. Totally. Um, there's plenty of characters, there's plenty of stories where you there's plenty of stories I've read where I hate all the characters, but the story's great, the writing's great, you know. So so it can it can go either or. But I think with creator owned stuff where you are slowly peeling back the curtain of what is, you know, really going on behind the scenes and something like conspiracy ask like this. Character, 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 character,
1: character. Well, and I think for me to, the hook for me and the hook for Chloe in particular comes in issue one. There is a line that does it, which is, I lost my fiance, I lost my baby, I lost my will. Someone owes me. And that thought is keeping me alive. And for me, in a nutshell, that's everything I'm ever going to need to know about who I'm here to follow. John, was there a hook for you in this book? Was there a moment, a panel, a line of dialogue that made you go, oh, I know exactly what story this is going to be, or I think I know, and I care about this character? Or was there not one? Did you Were you not able to find a hook?
0: Um. So I think this is the part where we start to fight. Right. I, I am glad that you all recommended this book. I had a very difficult time caring a whole lot about many of these characters i loved the brothers i thought they were i loved them i loved spark um and i i kept falling kind of in and out with chloe um i thought she was i think there's there was a lot to her that was really interesting yes that line completely struck me and i love that sort of anger but then the anger kind of kept drifting away and i i don't think i found an avenue into her grief in the same way um so for me kind of from the first issue to the last issue it it became more about i'm invested in this book because i want to know what happens less than i'm invested in this book because i want to know what happens to these people and it became more about what's the plot as opposed to i just want these people to have this beautiful wonderful happy ending which you know but i dare to say
2: get. that was the intent You know, because I dare to say at the at the end, this is a conspiracy, right? This this whole like this is a this is a, you know, uh, what what is the government hiding in Area 51 um, plot at the end of the day in a a way. Right.
0: Um,
2: And and and. Uh, to a certain extent, that's, you know, that's those those are two different directions we get in horror and thriller and and and, and stuff is the like, oh, they got to hook you with some emotional bait with the characters or they're fun and innocent and relatable, whatever. Um, and then it's the oh, shit, there's this monster. How do we kill it? And that becomes the driving force, you yeah. know, for the now, back I- half. Yeah,
0: now what I thought was really interesting is I love this sort of overarching concepts, the idea of how religion warps us, how we allow ourselves to be entranced by a a really fascinating personality, Um, how we um, look at what's truly horrific and what's not truly horrific and how grief, like all of those overarching concepts super fascinating and i would have been i would have loved to have kind of had more of that because there are things um that she's touched on in other in some of her other writing that are similar concepts um but i i you know a horror book about a cult leader that's i mean okay you know cast it cast it. I'll watch that. You know, I mean, that's fascinating. Is, is
1: that how you would pitch this series to someone who's never heard of it before?
0: Um, I would probably, ca- let me see. I would probably say it's, it's an amalgamation of all of the best kinds of horror, everything from body horror to, um, to uh, the idea of angels and demons to, you know, it's, it's got a little bit, it's got a little bit of The Exorcist in it. It's got a little bit of Aliens in it. It's got a little bit of, um, I'm trying to think of another classic horror movie. It's for, even for got a little me, bit of Psycho.
2: A little bit. There's a little bit of, I mean, Hellraiser, right? And this, uh, you know, Hell, Hellraiser universe. But for me, I'm just like, what if I, I kept, I didn't think about this when it was coming out, but I was, I was reading it this time. I realized like, oh, this is coming out like, Really, when Scientology was getting a lot of airtime um, and I'm just like, oh, what a sign scientific- everything the Scientologist said was real. Right. Like, that's that's what this kind of was to me. <laughs> was
1: And let's stay on that for a little bit, because they are playing with the idea of Astrid as a cult leader. Like, it's very firmly established. Um, and I think that, that and the celebrity cult too, like not just the cult leader, the celebrity cult and it's, it's, it's Scientology. I think Nexium was going on at this time and was getting more and more prevalent in Hollywood. And you see, and I think it's the, the language that's used of Mm -hmm. differentiating, you know, who you are in the organization and how you go up. The visual representation that John Davis Hunt comes up with, with different color uniforms, Denoting your, you know, that you want to strive for from being a blue uniform or a green to pink. And I think that's really, really fascinating to play with. But, and to your point, John, it also is kind of a reflection a little bit in the mentality of, of like, okay, a crafted religion, right? It's almost a, there's a critique in there a little bit, but also sort of the horror that's involved. In religion and in organized religion, which I think is a really fascinating take on the subject. There, Heather, from from where you're coming from, what what type of what what sort of sold it for you about this cult in terms of like how it felt really well formed to me, like very well fleshed out. Where did you fall on that?
2: Oh yeah, no, I loved. Uh, I I think I think Gail does a really good job of making us believe as readers like she has it all figured out as a writer right and she might um there Tolkien exists there are crazy writers out there that have it all you know all figured out but um I love the chess analogies for all her you know the different levels um her rooks her vizier all this you know all this stuff um I like the she has a very uh the 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 voicing and and everything her the art uh makes me think of um Meryl Streep's character in Devil Wears Prada like that's how Astrid Mueller you know carries herself
1: just <laughs> I was sort of waiting for her to say that's all that's all yeah okay. <laughs> And, and what's fascinating is I love the I love the chess motif and yeah, I thought the chess motif is very interesting because and and John, I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well because on some level, one, it sets up the idea that a cult is almost a game that you're trying to play to win at and to get more access and to, to level more, up <laughs> to level up. exactly. But also there's a little bit of this chess match that we're introduced to initially of Chloe versus Astrid right? Investigative reporter, reclusive cult leader, one's investigating, and they're playing a game against each other. Where do you sort of fall in terms of how the chess motif and that sort of future, John?
0: Well, if the musical chess is to be believed, um, the origin of chess, hey. We both rolled our eyes so hard at you, John. It was phenomenal. Did you think, when have we ever gotten through one of these without discussing... Musicals. We've made it about a half. You could pick
2: a better musical.
0: Uh, hey, okay. Let's, when they make *Queen's Gambit* the musical, I think we can. When all... they make *Queens* Gambit, well, <laughs> okay. So, um. Uh, side note, just so you know, *Chess* was the last musical that Michael Bennett worked on before he passed, and the whole British production was supposed to be him so he had like gotten all they had approved all the designs and everything like that and then he passed and someone else had come in which is why the british version was such a hot mess what Um, you're saying is this was the musical that killed him he
1: just couldn't even bear to finish it
0: well checkmate I, i was about to go into a really really dark place but that's okay we're already
1: uh, gonna, in one, but but stick with the I'm chess. Pull, up, pull that, for
0: that off for a second.
2: Well, but, let's go to the happier place. That is the clean room. Where... Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so uh, I mean, chess is essentially a, a war game. That's how it started. You know, the idea of showing someone battle. I mean, it's battle strategy. Um, so I, I did. I, I found that really really interesting. Um, you know, but also when you think of um, you know, when you th- think of satira- uh, satirizing a religion, you know, you think of the, the just before the um, the Inquisitions started. Um, you know, and the idea of uh, really the Vatican kind of placing itself as the power and how it kind of replaced and influenced the kings and the queens of Europe and how it it kind of replaced the royal families and how it positioned themselves themselves. So I I mean chess is a perfect metaphor for war.
1: Well and what's fascinating too and I I love your, your, your observation there because at first we think it might be a war between two people and then we realize that it's actually a war against literal like parasitic aliens. Uh, and so it's it's and it, it plays into that reveal of you think the game is going to be played this way and these are the stakes and these are the players, but it continues to reveal, no, there are higher stakes. No, there are more players than you think. No, the rules are not what you expect them to be. And they're actually much different than what you've been led to believe. And I think that's a really fascinating, again, to to go into that idea of chess as a war game, chess as a metaphor for this and even. The way in a chess piece, a pawn doesn't necessarily know it's a pawn. And you see that sort of reveal throughout this whole thing where you think maybe someone is a rook and they're actually potentially a queen um, and who the different players are. And I, I also agree. I thought that was a, a very cool lens to go through this. Um, I want to talk about the art because we have not actually touched on uh, John Davis Hunt and Walter Giovanni and, and Sonia Anwar's, but... I was so taken aback with the character designs especially and the mood and the panel layouts. And so I sort of wanted to touch base and I wanted to see for for horror as a genre, horror is so, there's so much that goes into horror, but horror in film especially, you rely so much on sound. You rely so much on the quick edit. You rely so much on uh, the reveal, but oftentimes it's a hard cut, it's a surprise reveal. To do a horror comic is feels to me like a very, very, very difficult medium to tackle this genre. And so, Heather, I want to get in a little bit in the weeds here with you. To your mind, what makes super effective horror in comics? What are some of the things from a storytelling perspective that you need to do? And what are some examples from this book that do or don't work for this genre?
2: yeah um no you're absolutely right I mean like 100% horror relies on sound so much you know and if you don't believe me I I tell you go watch a horror movie and like turn the sound off and you know all of a sudden like you're just it's the 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 goosebumps go down right like
1: (laughs) really without the score without yeah. the you know the 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 audio the wind the the door the yeah creaks from above i mean there's so much that goes into it and you don't have any of that with comics
2: yeah there's there's a great game that i love actually just a segue a little bit called Am- amnesia the dark descent and um they like when you start the game they tell you make it surround sound or put headphones on um because and and like I played I I played that game and didn't even get like through the tutorial like part where there's actually monsters and like had to stop because it freaked me out too much and like I have a very high bar for horror and scary things like very very high bar and I was like no can't do this this is this is too much um because it's so good but yeah no you're absolutely right in that and so um you know, there's a lot of different horror artists out there. There's a ton of different horror comics. There's no one what right way to do horror comics. Oh. Just like there's no one right way to do horror films. Um, you know, and, and I think um, you often go two different routes. Um, you know, one will be where the artist's style is just edgier and, you know, not as clean. Uh, you, you get like a lot more painted art styles, um, Alex Loves, Tyler Crooks, Vanessa Del Rey, artists like that uh, tend do a lot more horror because they're not as clean-lined. Um, so they, they look messier. Um, but what I love about John Davis Hunt, because he is so much in the opposite side of, uh, of the spectrum, is uh, he's very open-lined, uh, a lot of detail, um, very European, um, in that everything, everything is, uh, that he doesn't do a lot of his own shading. Uh, there's not a lot of implied shading or anything like that with him. Um, but what I fell in love with him in this is, is he does such a good job at making you feel safe. Um, and everything looks normal and, then you turn a page and there's half a face missing on someone, but every single vein, every single tooth, every single, you know, like John Davis, having worked with him myself on a horror book does not stop for (laughs) detail to a very uncomfortable extent, especially in horror. Um, and, and, and so I think that is what really excels here is not only is he great at character design and creature design, um, but he's really good at like normalcy and then, oh my God, what the fuck? That's horrifying.
1: I, I love that analogy with it, John. Cause where did, where did you come down in that? Cause for me, part of it too, comes down to pacing, right. And knowing those full page reveals to reveal the horror in there. Cause they're objectively, it's very pretty artwork. Like it's beautiful and it's very, it almost feels delicate at times. Um, And then you turn the page and oh as to your point, you know, the fiance's face is blown half off, right? So where did you come down in terms of John's, John for John's work? where do you come down in terms of did that pacing work for you on a on a moment by moment basis? How do you feel like the artwork sort of played into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, his artwork is, is so beautiful. And I think it's horrific because it it finds horrific things in very mundane areas, in very mundane spaces. Um, I tend not to be I, so I grew up as Matthew reminded us at the beginning of this, I am much older than everyone else combined. Um, So I grew up uh, in the seventies when uh, when horror was slasher horror. So I grew up thinking that horror was gore. Mm -hmm. And it took me a very long time to realize until I was in my teens and I started watching Hitchcock and I started watching like the 30s, 40s horror movies. So it took me a very long time to realize that horror was psychological, that the stuff that scared me the most was psychological horror. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Heather was um, just holding up a, a couple pages from from the book. Um, yeah. That I may um, use as the, the ads for this show, quite frankly, for this episode. Sorry, go on. So you're talking about psychological horror. As so as-
0: I think, I, I mean, I love the design that, that John Davis Hunt does on the monsters and the creatures and the aliens and the way that they turn faces upside down and eyeballs are dropping, but that I, is the creepiest thing of the but whole. But for oh. me, the the real horror comes when there is a perfectly mundane person whose perspectives are just slightly off enough to make you feel unsettled. Um, That's the stuff that I find really, really enjoyable. I do also want to say, I think this horror works better in a trade paperback than it does in a monthly book. I think I would have a much more difficult time being frightened if I didn't read this all together because there's an overarching sort of feel of, of unease that goes through it that I think for me personally would have been lost month to month.
1: Heather, where do you fall on that? Because you, you just sort of binged it right for this, yeah. this episode, but you were reading it month to month as it came out, right?
2: Yeah. I want to, I want to go back on something that, that John said real quick though. Like, um, just again on, on, mon- on the mundaneness and, and just how pretty everything feels. I, I want to give a shout out to Quentin Winter on, on this book as well. Quentin is a colorist. He colored all 18 issues. Um, and coloring is another big part in horror. And I, and I think we, all, we like to think a lot of times, oh, dark and shadows and ominous reds and oranges and, you know, whatever, the colors of hell. And I love how bright these issues are. And I think that's another thing that goes into to play that catches us off guard when something like really scary happens. Like the fiance's face, is in bright like daylight, you know, the clean room is bright white and you see all these horrible things going on. And it's just this like juxtaposition of of what should feel safe but so much clearly isn't. Um that that plays really well
0: in this totally
1: agree. I, I love that observation. And and yeah, I agree things are scarier in the light
0: of day because they you are. think you're safe. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's that I, this is going to be a super weird example, but I think the reason that the shower scene in Hitchcock freaks everybody out is because that's the place where you should be safe. That is where nothing bad happens. That you're at your you're
1: most vulnerable. Yourself.
0: Yeah, right. You're naked. You're... And I, I, yeah, I was trying to sort of say that without saying that, but yeah, you I are. I mean,
1: if you curse on this show. It's fucking fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
0: Um, You know, that's where every, that's what makes it so scary. You know, I, I think when you pull the dark parts of humanity out into the light, that's when everybody gets really scared. And I think to both of your points, one of the best
1: examples of it is the first scene of the whole series. It is a bright middle of the day you are following a family with a little girl who seems very innocent they seem like they that they're protecting her that she should be safe you have these two guys driving a truck who at first seems it seems very mundane and it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong or anything going on seems wrong.
2: like an accident
1: it does exactly and then until one line <sighs> one line the reveal like that horrific reveal where the mundane that you were lulled into because the characters are speaking in a way that makes you feel them feel recognizable because you are in the light of day, because the artwork is very clean and, and open. And suddenly it just turns on you with one line. And then you realize the horror that you're about to see and you can't stop it. And you just have to witness it. So I think to, to all your points, the, that first scene for me really sort of encapsulates this type of horror. Um, but I wanted to get, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: yeah. Just to, just to get back to the actual question about yeah, yeah, week to week versus, versus Benji. No, it, it was very interesting because this, um, I remember, so, uh, I, I got this, I don't remember it ever being advertised. I don't think it ever was advertised. I think this ended up randomly in a comp spell for me, which is how I, started reading it. And this was like the one book I look forward to every month. I was, I was definitely hooked for this every single month. And, um, I don't think it was necessarily like, Oh, I want to be scared every month. You know, for me, I was like, I was following Chloe. i like, I don't know what's going on. Who, you know, how did this cult kill, uh, the, the Philip or whatever the fiance's name? And blah, I need more cults. And I just, I, I, I love cults. What can I say? But. um It was very interesting binging it, though, because binging it, I definitely picked up way more on some of the allegories ever being made and, you know, caught more details in the overall structure of of everything going on in the background. Um, And I think I appreciated Astrid and her character way more binging it than I did um, when I was reading it monthly. I think monthly she was just like like I said, more just an engine driving it. Um, but I definitely appreciated her structure and understood a lot more about whatever these entities are called, like what they're about and, and, and different things. Um, and so it's, it's definitely two very different experiences. Um, but that's, watching a TV show weekly versus binging it all at once too. You're going to, you're going to pick up on different
1: things. And and I think that's a really astute point because this was 2015, the end of 2015, like streaming was finally really taking hold in that sense. Like people were really binging more than like the, the ratings between, you know, streaming services versus um, weekly episodic TV that we're still appointment viewing. Like, I feel like this was a very interesting point where reading habits were starting to change in comics in a lot of ways. And it's it's an interesting time for Vertigo in and of itself as well, because Vertigo at this point was under uh, the purview of an editor named Shelley Bond, who had been working as the, the head of Vertigo since 2012. But then this book ends in mid 2017 and vertigo was going to undergo an entire relaunch of the imprint in 2018 which i think speaks to your point heather earlier about the third arc feeling like okay we've decided from an editorial standpoint we're canceling this book we need to wrap it up it did feel like there was a lot more story in between to be told and then vertigo would be canceled completely um they announced it in June of 2019. So the relaunch didn't quite work. And this felt like a bit of a, on some level, a bit of a casualty to all the, the shuffling going on with it. Um, So we're going to, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment. So John, my, my question to you, sir, that you usually ask is, would you recommend this book having now read
0: it? Um, i would recommend it with some reservations um i would say it's uh as i said you know as i said earlier i think it's much more plot than it is character um i would you know i would recommend it because it's gail simone and i love gail simone's work and i think she's just fucking brilliant um uh there are other horror books that um are more appealing to me personally. So I i think I would recommend it, but perhaps not as passionately as I would recommend some other things. Okay. Do you regret reading it? No, I never regret reading anything. Um that is because... a loss. But go on. No, I don't
1: think well What about House of M? Do you regret reading House of M?
0: Um, I don't regret reading House of M because um, I think it just makes me realize how important it is to respect the writers that came before you um, because I don't necessarily think that always happened. Um, I think it's good to I'm trying to I'm trying to think of of a book that I've regretted reading. And I don't think I've regretted reading anything because I think you can always learn from something, whether as a writer, as a reader, as an audience member, just kind of going, okay, how does this, you know, how does this medium work? Um, <laughs> um so sorry, I lost my train of thought there for one hot second because I have B. Arthur's face staring at me from my coffee mug. Um, so um, so no regrets on reading no this? No regrets, no. And you would recommend, you would just recommend with
1: reservations? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Heather, what about for you? Having binged it all, would you recommend?
2: Oh Well, because I have better taste in horror books than
1: John, absolutely. Um... Clearly.
0: Uh, <laughs> wow, we went there. Wow.
1: <laughs> I am also going to give this a, a ginormous recommend, especially um i would i would recommend that first volume i think it's a damn near perfect first arc of of a comic series the artwork unbelievable the coloring the lettering uh, we didn't touch on the lettering but i thought the lettering throughout let's talk it's it's phenomenal just yeah. the differentiate again creating wi- without having sound without having the the use of quick edits there they do such a phenomenal job with it um well, I want to thank you both so much for this very special episode of John's Comics Corner. And don't worry, John, next episode, we're back to the regular format where you get to, you know, you will you will be driving the ship, as it were. You will be the captain again.
0: I okay, promise. So you're like the episode of Blossom where she gets caught drinking and then next week we go back to the regular episodes where everything is good and wraps up again in half an hour. I like that. I mean, you basically just named every episode of Saved by the
1: Bell. The one that just doesn't count for the next week, but okay, indeed.
0: wow! Please don't make me sing. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Um,
2: <laughs> I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. <laughs> I don't.
1: I don't think <laughs> we can top this moment, quite frankly. Um, Heather, please give a shout out at the end of the show um, if you want folks to follow you, what you got coming up, anything you want to plug. Please, this is your time.
2: Um, you should. Um, follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Heather Antos if you want puppy pictures galore, um, because that's mostly what I post these days. Um, and go buy some comics with my name on them, like some of the Star Wars Adventures comics from IDW or Time, Uta- Time Before Time from Image or a bunch of other stuff that I can't talk about yet because it hasn't been announced. Yay!
1: Uh, I will say for two great horror recommendations that Heather has worked on, uh, Redlands, uh, definitely give Redlands a read, and also the first volume of the latest Shadow Man series, which also features John Davis Hunt's artwork.
0: Um, John, anything you want to plug, my friend, uh, before you Um, I would say uh, this is Halloween, time to be scared. Um, Go to your local comic shop if you don't know where one is near you go to comicshoplocator.com, enter in your zip code. Hey, can we get them to sponsor an episode of this? I feel like we say this every month, so I don't know why you don't get them to sponsor us. But go to your local comic shop, ask for a recommendation. Um, They will give you a bunch of amazing stuff. You have no idea how important it is to uh, keep shopping local during these crazy trying times. Um, and you will find some amazing things that you would never have known.
1: And make sure you check out uh, everything else offered here on April's The Cruelest Month, from our main content, including the fabulous uh, Fire In My Heart, um, and uh, Earth Will Quake by John Petrie himself, Uh, Love in the Time of Hitler, which actually stars Heather Antos, Who does an incredible job stepping in as the most badass time traveler, maybe ever? I will put that up there against Marty McFly. Um, And uh, yeah, more episodes of Heidi and Nora Don't Know Nerd Things are coming out. We have some new pilots uh, for new types of shows that you'll be seeing very quickly. Uh, Also, uh, coming up is Common Area, uh, which will be our next uh, uh, untold tale behind one of history's. Uh, most important events. So uh, John, do you wanna give us the outro as you normally do? I wouldn't rob you of that honor.
0: Oh, well, that's very kind of you given my advanced years um, that you keep pointing out and I don't have that much time left. Um, So we just wanna say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Please do come back as Matthew said for all of that wonderful and amazing content uh congress corner will be back next month with a new and exciting episode guest uh which our guest will be one of the actors from the season uh we want to thank you for joining us and thank you for exploring us exploring with us why april is the coolest month <laughs>